Hello, future Epka here, inserting myself just before the beginning of this podcast to talk a little bit about what's been happening in the world. This episode was originally recorded before Donald Trump's authoritarian attempt to seize power and stoke fascist fires to rage across America, so forgive us for our chipperness. I do want to say that I will be reading the following out, but only because I don't want to forget anything. We might all be shaken, we might be outraged, we might feel like the world is suddenly collapsing, but the reality is that if you feel like that, which is a feeling I share, is that we shouldn't be shaken, we shouldn't be surprised, we should have known that this was all coming along. Yesterday on Twitter I wrote a little message of support and that we'll be donating money towards some UK-based charities, specifically Black Lives Matter UK and Southall Black Sisters. I strongly encourage you to donate to them as well. It doesn't have to be these exact charities, please use your own research and donate to charities that you feel could use the benefit most. But I also mentioned a book, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. This book, published in the early 90s, describes our days as presciently as anything that Philip K. Dick wrote. In fact, I'd argue much more so. That's just a book that resonated with me. There are many, many more out there. The point being that we were told what was going to happen. We were warned. We just didn't listen. I like to think of myself as a person who believes in the right things and fights for the right causes, and you probably feel like that about yourself as well. I was proud that in many of our reviews I addressed misrepresentation of minorities and elevated these issues, but now I find myself humbled. We all could be doing so much more. If, like me, you are white and you're in no position to go out and protest, Open yourself to more black voices, to more minority voices. If your passion is board games, it is time to talk less and listen more. Don't listen to me. There's a whole host of board game media who are black or other minorities or entities that include black or other minority hosts. I include a list that is by no means exhaustive, but a good starting point. The Dice Tower podcast, hosted by Suzanne Sheldon and Mandy Hutchinson, Jeremy from Jembalaya Plays Games, Eric Yurko from What's Eric Playing, Variable Player Power Podcast, Meeple University, Board Game Barrage, Girls Game Shelf, and the Game Brain Podcast. It's easy to feel spirited when times are tough. I will once again invoke the parable of the sower with a quote. Prodigy is, at its essence, adaptability and persistent positive obsession. Without persistence, what remains is an enthusiasm of the moment. Without adaptability, what remains may be channeled into destructive fanaticism. Without positive obsession, there is nothing at all. I encourage you to remain attentive, supportive, and to go the extra mile once the fires are quelled. I don't know how No Pun Included can remain helpful in that regard yet. It's just me and Elaine, and I think some people think of us as having a bigger voice than we do. Our voice carries when we review a board game, the machine mutes it otherwise. But we'll keep working on this, that's my promise. We'll keep trying to figure it out, and we'll be better. Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the No Pun Included podcast with me, Elaine. And myself, Efka. Elaine, 
there are so, I don't even know where to begin. There are so many changes. Keen listeners will have noticed that we've been gone away for a couple of months and that's because the channel has been undergoing a lot of changes, but also we, we wanted to take this time and restructure the podcast mm. and make it better. And what a time did we pick? Because whilst whilst we were on that, we not only got nominated, but ended up as runner-ups for the Board Game Geeks Best Podcast mm, Award nomination. <laughs> uh, mind you that this all happened whilst we didn't even have an episode out. And whilst we have only recorded a total of nine episodes. Mm. Elaine, do you think that's because... The Board Game Geek Awards are a little bit of a popularity contest, and because we are a known presence on YouTube, we got a lot of votes. Yeah, you might be right. I don't feel like we're that popular, though, to be plucked out of the air. I mean, I think that a lot of the people that got nominated, a lot of the podcasts that got nominated, were mm. some of my favourite board gaming That's podcasts. That's very true, yes. And I, I felt like we didn't really have a place to be there, not because our podcast... I think our podcast is... I like it, right? I'm digging <laughs> a hole here. Do you listen to it? I, I, from, from, time, from time to time. But, no, I don't actually. I just edit it, I put it out, and then it's out there. But I felt like uh, podcasting has never been our main focus. And I don't want to make this sound disparaging to the people who voted. Mm. Because they clearly voted because they like us, right? Which mm. is very flattering and very nice. And I suspect that a lot of people who have voted do listen to the podcast and enjoy the podcast. Don't get me wrong. I'm more than grateful for. And what I'm trying to say is that it made me feel like next year when the BGG Awards come round, I don't want to personally feel like... Uh, we just got this because of the popularity vote, you know? I, we I, can't be nominated again, can we? We can, yeah, we because can? we didn't win. We're runner-up, oh, right? So that's the thing. Next year when this comes up, I want this to feel like it deserves it. So that made me just want to work a little bit more on the podcast and put in a little bit more elbow grease. And I think it was nice to take some of that time away and go, well, yeah, we, we were sort of we did something that we're a little bit more proud of and it feels like that recognition was deserved. Saying that, I'm very glad for the people who did win. Uh, they were, Heavy Cardboard won and mm -hmm. they've been running a podcast for oh, Yonks time, now. Yeah. yeah, And also So Very Wrong About Games, another one of my favorite uh -huh. podcasts, mm -hmm. got runner-up and um, I couldn't be more than happy for them. And a lot of other excellent podcasts that were nominated. I don't want to start mentioning ones that I really like because I'll be excluding other ones. So let's just say there was quite a few of them. I was incredibly flattered by it and it was so unexpected. And I think with the podcasting, it's even more disconnected. Like even with the YouTube videos, people comment on them and... You have such an immediate response. It's, it's crazy with YouTube how much right. the algorithm you know, just makes everything pop out at right. you and you Where, feel like you're having a conversation, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, and you can, people ask questions and maybe mm -hmm. other people respond to those or you can respond to those and, and that's nice. Um, but with a podcast, you put it out and then... It's just sort of out there in the air. There, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, And you hope that people are listening to it or downloading it or or whatever, but you, you don't quite know. It's not that immediate response isn't there. And for me, I think to have that nomination made me feel like oh people are actually really enjoying it and it did make me want to work a lot harder on it and do a better job with it 
Yeah, absolutely. And I I I am still struggling with that sort of like is was this just a popularity vote because we're on YouTube and right. we're doing well on YouTube or or was this actually, you know, hey, you know, I I really enjoy your podcast and people voting and it's probably I imagine a mix of both. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But maybe I I think you're right that it's it may be something to do with YouTube, but I feel like people vote with their feet or whatever the phrase is like they want to see more of our content or listen to more of our content because they enjoy that. Oh, Elaine, you said the C word. I really don't like content. it. Yes. <laughs> we are content creators. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's two C words, Elaine. I know, I know, I'm sorry. To borrow a phrase uh, from Shut Up and Sit Down, it's a family show. Uh-huh, mm. uh-huh. Uh, I, 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 no, I agree with you. I, I dislike that word because it... it quite often comes across as lazy like find out what the people do don't just call them content creators it, it, but i mean no i i appreciate shorthands in conversation it's just that this particular shorthand makes everything that you make clumped into one category sure, and sure. levels everything out okay they want to see or hear more from us mm -hmm. is that better Are you I, happy I, with I, I am much happier thank uh, you <laughs> you're right it may have been to do with youtube but I don't necessarily think for me that's a negative because it just says to me, please, I want to hear more about what you think about games. And that's really nice. That shall we talk? Super nice. Shall we talk about some of the changes that we're implementing yes. into the podcast? Let's. So number one, big change. We're no longer covering three games an episode. Mm -hmm. We're covering just one game mm -hmm. an episode. We will be talking about more games as the podcast episode goes along, mm -hmm. but our primary focus will, will be on be one game. Just one game and Today, this game is Teotihuacan, City of Gods, and its various expansions. Yes. Uh, number two, we're introducing a couple of uh, slightly odd categories. Uh, in Some of them are more predictable, like what games have we been playing? Well, mm -hmm. we'll talk about what games we've been playing lately, and also what games we're excited to try. But there's also a couple of categories that have been born out of necessity, I think, for me personally. And and sort of for you as well. So one of the necessities that I have is I want to play more escape room games. And I think this is one that you're in complete accord with me together. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so we decided to have a category uh, on our podcast where we just talk about the last escape room game that we've played. And uh, avoiding any kinds of spoilers and whether you should get it or not. Because mm. if you're like us and if you enjoy escape room games then you might want to hear about them. Which one's good, which one's bad, which one's meh. But no spoilers. But no spoilers. And finally, this is this is the category I'm looking forward to the most. <laughs> Not because it slightly excludes you in its title, but because I get to vent. And that category is called Efka Grumps About a Game, where each episode I will pick one game and I will grump about it. Th that one had nothing to do with me. I, I wasn't in that board meeting. <laughs> I just put my foot down and said uh -huh. that it's time. Uh -huh. It's time to uh -huh. grump about a game. Uh -huh. But let's make the rest of the podcast more a more positive experience. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the positive changes that have been happening on No Pun Included. And this is the first segment that actually we didn't mention. So it's the last segment we're mentioning now that is a new segment. That's confusing. Yes, but also this is the first segment that we are starting this podcast with. And that is what's new on No Pun Included. Uh, a little bit 
Neville Casey, but what are you going to do? It's our podcast. You have to like it. Uh, Elaine, there have been a lot I of I mean, things. they can swish through this bit if they're, <laughs> they're they can. interested. They can, but I think there's a lot of interesting things that but have happened. But then they might miss out on some exciting, new, no pun included, news. We've been gone for two months. There's Indeed. lots of them. There's lots of them. Elaine, you made a list. I did what make what is the first piece of no pun included news? Well, uh, we have a Patreon. Wow, that is big news. Elaine, not only do we have a Patreon, but we also have a whole theme, shtick thing happening around our crowdfunding campaign this year. So instead yes. of Kickstarter, we moved over to Patreon. Our Patreon has been doing quite well, but we haven't quite yet met a goal with just a few hundred pounds mm. short. And if you're only listening to our podcast and not watching our videos and haven't heard that we have a Patreon and you enjoy our podcast, then please go back our Patreon. If uh, you can. If you can. It's on patreon.com slash no point included. And, and our theme is because this is the fourth year. It starts at four pounds a month. It does start at mm. four pounds a month. Although, although I will briefly mm -hmm. mention that if you can't afford... To put in four pounds a month, but do want to put in something, you will not be able to select any of the rewards on Patreon, but you can make a custom pledge. Mm -hmm. That is an option. A lot of people have been asking yes. about that. You can definitely do that. The reason it starts at four pounds a month is not because we want to tear off content, it's because, strangely, the way Patreon is set up, if, for example, someone pledges a pound a month, mm -hmm. right? We're definitely grateful that they're pledging a pound a month yeah, and sure. we're we're very thankful that people want to support us and we appreciate that not everyone can support us at more than that. But the problem with that is that what Patreon does is that if you pledge only for a pound, most of that money goes to Patreon and <laughs> yeah. credit card companies and we barely see any of it. So we don't mind just as long as you know that yeah. that is the case. Yeah. What that's fine be with us better if you do want to just make a one-off donation mm -hmm. is to we have a button on our website uh, where you can just directly donate to us as a one-off yes if you go on nopunincluded.com slash donate you can make a one-off donation and that's also totally going to work so first up we have a patreon we have new artwork that we've done for our channel it's called fourth edition it's a pastiche of twilight imperium fourth edition uh, it's done by Nick Nassero. It looks wonderful. I love it. And it's and available on a t-shirt. It is. To put on your person. It is. If you go to teespring.com slash season four. This is the most pluggy podcast we've ever done. Uh -huh. It's just because so much uh -huh. has happened. Uh -huh. But yeah, that artwork is also available on a t-shirt. Not every podcast will be like this, we promise. Absolutely. <laughs> if, you, if you're tuning in for the first time and going, oh my God, they're just talking about crowdfunding and merch. It's just adverts. It's just ads. <laughs> we'll talk about board games very, very soon. It's just a lot of news that we need to go through. So, okay. Patreon, t-shirts. Right. What's next, Elaine? Um, we have uh, new videos. We have a lot of new videos that have come out lately. <laughs> if you Very quickly, if you haven't seen our review of Cloudspire, and that's the big video that mm -hmm. we've done recently, it's it's a phantasmagorical, I think, nearly 28 and a half mi minute long video. It's a big one, yeah. And it's got some of my favorite jokes we ever wrote for a video, and you should go watch that. Not only just because it's a nice video, but also because I think Cloudspire is a very curious game, and I think if you're really into games... You can learn a lot about 
how games work just from watching that video. I I I don't usually big myself up so much, but I'm very proud of that plug, script. Plug 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 plug. Go watch the Cloud Spy video. <laughs> we also uh, have uh, we stream now. Yes, which is a new oh. thing since uh, we've not been able to go very many places. Uh, we now stream. We now stream every Thursday, 7 p.m. UK time. If you don't know what that is in your country, you can Google. What, what is, is 7 p.m. PM UK, UK time, time in my country? Yeah, and Google will tell you exactly what time that is. I do remember that it is 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific. There you go. But that might change uh, after we end British summertime. That's anyway, true. So, yeah. Look time zones are weird. <laughs> look it up for yourself. I mean, they're quite useful, though, because yeah. otherwise it would be like night time. Well, like Moscow time. Morning. What's Moscow time? Have you never heard about Moscow time? No. So basically, in the Soviet Union, yeah. uh, Stalin or whoever, uh, maybe Brezhnev, I don't know, one of one of, one of the dictators, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> decided that actually time is going to be centralized across the USSR. Oh, I see. And oh no, that's a silly idea. Well, it's enormous. Yeah, well, because it is absolutely spanning like half the world, you know, in horizontally. Mm -hmm. So a lot of time zones to cover there. Wow. So yeah. they were like, no, it's just going to be one time. It's going to be Moscow time. I right. Uh, people did not follow Moscow time. No. Right. And actually, apparently, this is what my parents told me, because I don't remember much of it. I sort oh. of remember people mentioning Moscow time. Right. But not very well. Yeah. So if you ask someone, right, like what time it is, and they would look at their watch and they would say, oh, it's like four o'clock in Moscow uh -huh. time. You probably didn't want to have much to do with that person no, because sure. <laughs> they are in well, I mean, it's bleep, bleep, bleep. a good uh, litmus test of them i guess yeah I, I do know that um like time was standardized after the railway came in mm -hmm. and, and became popular because trains had to run on time people had to know when the train was going to be in manchester or london or whatever like it didn't matter if it was like a local bus or you know tram company because it just went around your town but as soon as the trains came in... Fascinating stuff, Elaine. <laughs> I, I know you've been looking at me because I've been pulling a grimace. Uh -huh. But my, my follow-up to that, to uh -huh. what you just said, uh -huh. is that... Did you know that we stream board games? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking about trains now. We, it's because we've been playing a lot of 18xx. We'll like, talk about that later. In my mind. I'm going to reel you in. Uh, so we also uh, are talking about the streams. We are also doing a D&D &D stream every Saturday. Which at is at 8 p.m. UK time, just an hour later than mm -hmm. the Thursday streams. But, and this is very exciting for me, we've just had we've just had our first stream. We're going to launch our second stream very, very soon, second episode. It is a weekly D&D &D series. And not only is it just a weekly D&D &D series, but it's also a weekly D&D &D series with very, very lovable people. Like uh, yourself, Thank Elaine, you. you're playing one of the characters. Some of our other players include Ross Connell from mm -hmm. More Games, Please, mm -hmm. Emma Janssen from the Pointless Parrot podcast, mm -hmm. and also internet favourite Paul okay. Dean. Uh, they're all doing, so far, a fantastic job. And I've really enjoyed our first session, mm -hmm. and um, I, I can't wait for the next one. Mm -hmm. And that is live on Twitch every Saturday, 8 p.m. UK time, but also on YouTube every Monday. And also YouTube's favourite Lithuanian board game reviewer, Efka. Well, I, I am I am the games master, yes. yes. Thank you very much for putting my name in uh -huh. in, in, uh -huh. in that whole spectrum of It's a very specific category. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lithuanian board game reviewers. I wonder if there um, are more. 
If you're a Lithuanian board game reviewer... (laughs) (laughs) Do write in. Do write in. Um, But yes, we are doing that uh, every Saturday at 8pm UK time. Gosh. You can also join the Discord server uh, if you want to catch up with the story or if you want to chat about the, the characters or anything like that. We're all there. We're all active on there. Shall we talk about some games that we've been playing? Let's talk about some games. I think I think it's time that this board game podcast <laughs> has arrived in the station that is called Board Lazy Games. Oh, well. That was disappointing. Uh-huh. Shall we talk about 18 Chesapeake? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about 18 Chesapeake. So this is a game that has just arrived to backers and it is an 18xx game. And it is meant to be an accessible entry point for people who've not played 18xx games. Nice. How, how is it accessible? Well, uh, in some ways, it's accessible because the artwork does not make your eyes bleed. And oh. I think that's a step up for a lot of 18xx games. Now that we've been diving into the world of 18xx games, and it's worth mentioning that our next video review is going to be a sort of mega presentation of the 18xx mm-hmm. genre and mm-hmm. our experience of dipping into the... Which has taken a long time for it, us to, to come up with. Nearly a year. Yeah. Nearly a year we've been working on this and uh, playing various 18xx games. And it's not like we've been focusing solely on this for one year. <laughs> right. But, but we've been sort of trying to get in as much of 18xx game time as we could. Mind you, these are games that sometimes take a day. Mm-hmm. They just do. And some people will say, well, no, if you're really familiar with the game, you know you can bash it in in like three or four hours. Sure. But we're not. We're not. Also, most people who are going to be watching that video will also not. So we just want to give them an accurate representation of everything as much as possible. But 18 Chesapeake is nice. I, I liked it. It's, it's, it's a very nice version of an 18xx game, mostly because it very closely riffs 1830, which is mm. what I found is is possibly my not my favorite, but that that game rule set because what people I guess if you've never played an 18xx game, there's there's just so many variants on the rules of 18xx, yeah. uh, and and but that particular rule set for me seems to be the best one to makes most sense to you. Yeah, to, to get people to jump in, and uh, we started with. 1846, which we've covered on this podcast and our mm-hmm. experience of playing 1846. And I think we bounced off of that, both of us. I, I more than you. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. But mm. it was my first experience of an 18xx. So yeah. I didn't have anything to compare it with. No, and now you have, and right? Now I have. And And so this is this is in a different sort of subsection of 18xx right. games because 1846 is apparently, even though it's touted as one of the good entryway 18xx games, it's the odd one out. It doesn't quite follow a standardized rule set as much as the others, whereas games like 1830, 1889, mm-hmm. 18 Chesapeake, I know I'm just saying numbers now. Um, <laughs> and words. And words, <laughs> in the case of Chesapeake, uh, are, are more like standardized and very similar to each other. And we've, we've played all of those and the, the rules differences are so minute. Yeah. They have a different map that you lay track on and yeah. stuff like that. Or, or they have a different way of... Uh, working with shares. Yeah, uh, but in, in su- it's this, this such minor changes. Mm. Okay, uh, very quickly, if you never heard about an 18xx game, we really should have put this 
first and I mean, foremost. I did try and talk about this earlier and you, you stopped me. Like, oh. it's, they're games about trains. They are games about trains and they're games about stocks. And that's the exciting part. And buying stocks in railway uh, lines and putting track down and, and trying to make that stock more valuable and buying and selling and... It's exciting. It's the world of economics that you don't expect when someone says we're going to lay train tracks right. on very bland looking like tiles on a bland looking map yes. uh, for eight hours. And you go, well, that sounds dull. And actually, you find yourself embroiled in this cutthroat match of economics. And I, I am now converted. <laughs> I like 18xx games. I think they're brilliant. We taught 1889 to Matt and well, Quinn's yeah. of Shut Up and Sit Down. Well, we played it together and they saw the fascination immediately. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit sorry that we slightly botched it because I I taught I taught a rule wrong and the rule that I taught wrong mm. is embarrassing because Quinn's asked me, so do you get money for your shares at the end of the game? And I don't know why. I've been prepping for this for so long and I said no. And he's like, oh. Yeah, you do, you, yeah. you absolutely do. But I said no, and um, and it was it was weird because then midway through the game he mm. said, "But that's weird. Wouldn't people just be dumping stock at the end of the game?" And those are all valid questions. And I was like, mm. "No, no, no. It just works like that." And I'm like, <laughs> "I I don't know what happened to me, right?" But but it, it was hard because you were trying to teach it on tabletop simulator as yes. well. So you were trying to teach it digitally, which I think arguably is a lot trickier yes. than teaching when you have someone's full focus in a room. These are all things that we're going to be talking about in our video, Absolutely. by the way, uh, because uh, we want to cover, obviously, in today's world, what it's like to play an 18xx game, because you can't, right now at least, play it with people in the same room, not unless you live with, like, I'd, you need at least three players for an 18xx game. And some, some of these games are definitely fine with three players. I know they go a little weird and skewy if you play mm -hmm. them with three, but I played 18 Chess Speak with three players and it was fine. It allowed for some shenanigans that normally don't happen. It seemed uh, to be a lot quicker. Yes, it was. It definitely was. Uh, but we ended the game prematurely uh -huh. because it was very clear that one person right. won. Okay. Once again... Uh, very quickly coming to learn that just sometimes these things happen in an 18xx game. People just go, shall we just end it? Because, because, and people go... Because we know go, who's going to win. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, we just end it. We're going to mention that again later on about a different game. <laughs> Ending a game prematurely. But let's talk a little bit about Barra. No, Barrage. Barrage. There we go, which I learned is the pronunciation of it because it's a dam and not a... Volley. Artillery fire, yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. What is Barrage? Barrage is a game about uh, water, where you have to take water to make water. Uh, it's about building dams and building water systems so that the, when the water flows down from the mountains, you trap it in your dam and you pump it through your pipes in order to make you energy. We played a lot of Barrage, though. Yes, Barrage. And... <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. But also, we, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we have been playing a lot of Barrage, um, for the review, which was out a few days ago. Yeah, uh, I I enjoyed making that video because I finally felt like I could condense a Euro game mm. in a very short video. And I that video was not long in no. comparison to our other videos. No. And that game sits on, not that these scales matter or whatever, but Board Game Geek has a weight scale yeah. and how complicated is a game and it sits at a four out of five, which is yeah. very, very complicated. Yes. 
uh, at least currently, uh, as at my last looking, it did. And I, I thought, gosh, is it really considered that complicated? But yes, not because of the rules, though. It's because of the many, many interactions. interactions right. And yeah, actually, that makes sense. tying it to 18xx games, it reminded me... Um, we compared it to Terra Mystica, which some people really fumed about because we're like, <laughs> well, these don't share any mechanisms. Well, no, but the ethos of the game is the same. The experience you get playing it at a table and what you take away from this game is the same. You are you have a spatial puzzle mm-hmm. and you can block each other off and moves are very expensive, you know. And you can either play it quite meanly or not. Yeah. Yes, yes, and and also there there is that sort of not just resource scarcity, but these ebbs and flows of where you feel like you can do yes, things absolutely. you can't do things yeah. you can do where, things. where you either it's famine or feast sometimes. Like you you have a lot that you can do all at once, and then you can't do anything for some time. And I suspect some people will say, "Isn't that a lot of Euro games?" Yes, but both in Terra Mystica and Barrage, that is incredibly pronounced. Right, right, you feel it. I yeah. think, in, in those games. But you also think it's like an 18xx game. Well, okay. I mean, they're very different, obviously. But there's there's some, I think, tonal similarity in that they're both... Like, let's not model things too much. Bar- Barrage... <laughs> Barrage is not an economic game. No. It reminds me of an economic game. But it's dressed very much as a Euro game. And its Euro game tones are felt very, very strongly. If someone said to me... Is Arkwright an economic game or a Euro game? I would say Arkwright is probably an economic sure. game. They sort of it straddles sure. both of those lines, I can, I but can get behind that. But but Barrage is, is more along the lines of there's a track around the board, and we're trying to score points, and it's all about that sort of uh, verticality, which I mentioned in the yeah. video, and that was that was an important thing for me. Why I didn't think Barrage Barrage <laughs> oh, Barrage wasn't quite as up there as some of the best Euro games that are out, even though we have enjoyed it, haven't we? I, I think you're right. It does feel a bit like an economic simulator at points because because of that resource management, like because you get it back. Mm-hmm. Because in a in an economic simulator, quite often what you can do is sell something or buy something to, to sort of balance out your money, right? And in Barrage, you put your resources into the little wheel, they never go away. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the expansion that makes them go away, but but in the core game, they don't go away, but you have to wait for them to come back. And it's that, how much do I spend? How much do I not spend? That's it's a brilliant a, observation. Yeah, I, I, I see think what, you're right. I, I, I see what you I mean. mean. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right that it's like an economic yeah. simulation. It's like an investment, right? Yeah, like an yeah. investment. You, you are, you're putting something in. The thing is, though, the, 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 I don't want to make a pun here, but the way Cogs... Turn, turn. Uh, in, in Barrage, they're very slow and they're very grindy and they yeah. get stuck often. And but but it's not a secret. Like you know mm. when it when that is coming back. Mm. It's not like when will this happen? Yeah, you can see on the wheel how many steps it's going to take until that stuff comes back. There's a forced aggression in Barrage that I think a lot of people will be put off by because the map is so tight and the way the game is designed, you have to cut other people off whether you like it or not. And I, I've seen some comments, people on the internet saying, oh, you know, well, if you played like seven games of this, then you realize that you could just do this own thing that on your... I'm like, okay, okay. But <laughs> I don't think that's exactly the spirit of the game. And if, if that high-level metagame develops into that state, sure. And that makes it feel like an economic simulator again, because 
with an economic simulator, you can quite often develop that meta game if you play with the same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. Which I think you can do more than if you play Euro. Yeah, so that's Barrage. If you want to know more about Barrage, please go and watch our video of Barrage. That's Barrage. <laughs> Not Barrage. We've also been playing, to my satisfaction, Undaunted <laughs> North Africa. Almost said Normandy. Yet another game. I confuse the titles uh-huh. of this time not pronunciation actual words which is worse I mean they both start with N I yeah. guess so Normandy North Africa well it's, it's not just series. that it's undaunted colon yes nor yeah nor <laughs> right so uh, they're quite different though I mean the, the games feel similar mm-hmm. but the maps and everything are quite different. Please explain a little bit more about Undaunted North Africa. Well, Undaunted North Africa is a sequel to Undaunted Normandy, which if you want to know more about, we've covered in our podcast. We have. It's a two-player versus World War II themed game where each side takes on a squad of units and there's a map, it's scenario-based, you have this cool deck building element where each of your soldiers is a card in your deck and if you lose it, it goes away forever. You build it, you get to buy more soldiers. <laughs> it's neat. That's the mechanisms of it. Th- that's the mechanisms of it. It's World War II. It's two armies fighting that's against the each theme. other. That's the theme. <laughs> We've covered it. Good. <laughs> well done. And I have been very ungenerous to it because... I kind of hamstrung the game on one mechanism because I had a bad time Mm. with that one mechanism. Mm. And meanwhile, after that, a lot of people came out and said, we love this game. This game is great because it does a lot of innovative things. And if you listen back to our podcast, you'll hear us talking about those innovative things and definitely mentioning them. And And I like the game a lot more than you, I think. I think so. I think so. I struggled with it because I just had a bad time. I didn't enjoy sitting there for free games and rolling dice and going, well, nothing's happening. But at the same time, a lot of people had that same critique about Memoir 44, and yet I love it. So I had to put my preconceptions about that dice rolling mechanism that I really disliked away and just, just get on with it. If you want to watch us play it, by the way, there is a Twitch stream of it. Yes, there is. You can watch. I like this game quite a lot. Um, And for me, it has the same feeling as as Memoir 44 in that um, you didn't have a good time because of random dice rolls and things. And for me, that because the game isn't very long, Um, Undaunted North Africa or Undaunted Normandy isn't very long. And for me... It feels thematic that when you roll a bad die, mm-hmm. um, you've missed that shot. You've been trying to take out the other army and you've missed that shot. Yeah, I get it. I, I totally get it. There's a sense that it evokes that makes you feel like, oh, it's all or nothing right now in yeah. this one very moment. But then that's cool and that works if that sense pervades continuously. But if instead of that, you get this other sense of like, well, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening because I'm not rolling the dice and nothing's happening. And I've played three games now where the dice just didn't roll well and nothing's happening. And I'm not, I'm building this cool deck, but I'm just not engaging with the game because this this high tension moment just, just flops every time it happens, right? Mm. And I fully understand that that's, that's just going to be a different experience for most people because if they haven't had that 
variants hit them very badly, they'll be more appreciative of this game. Having said that, though, yes. when we played it, all the way through, I was rolling really well, and you were rolling really poorly. But that's North Africa, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. But, oh, are we? Well, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to segue into that, I see, actually. sorry. No, that's all right. So what, what I wanted to say is mm. that Undaunted North Africa, because it's kind of, it's not a... It's not an expansion. It's a sort of sequel, right? It presented for me an opportunity to kind of shed undaunted Normandy aside and go, okay, let's try this again, mm. right? Fresh start. Fresh start. And then... And then uh, when we played it, you were rolling really badly. I was rolling really well, but you still won. Yes. A, a because, single draw of a card. Right. Because you got the exact card that you needed exact, at the right time. Two exact cards. Two cards. A combination of two cards in a deck that was getting very, very fat. Uh -huh. And I needed, I had two cards I could draw from one of my commanders. And I drew those cards. And both of those cards put together said, Efka, you're going to win this game now. <laughs> and and that was such a stunning moment. Uh -huh. uh, and again, I guess I, I don't think that that's unlikely to happen in North Africa either. I think that those moments... In Normandy. In Normandy, sorry. In Normandy. <laughs> oh, I'm, I said I would be confusing them. I think those moments present Goodness themselves me. and mm. and are, are available. It's just that I, I just wanted to move away from that and go back into this with a fresh mindset. And I am enjoying myself a lot more. Good. So much so... That in the next podcast episode, we're going to take a big look at Undaunted yeah. North Africa. We're going to play through Hooray, all the scenarios and we're going to give you a, a definitive, view. yeah, definitive top-down view of <laughs> this World War II themed game. Let's just say it's, it's cool. It's different. They made some changes. We're going to talk about those in the next episode. And there's also tanks. So there is that now. Tanks, tanks, tanks. We have also been playing... Concordia! Oh, well, that's... Let's not talk about that. Why do we have to talk about that? Um, Efka is sad because um, Efka really likes Concordia, but Efka has never won Concordia. If you don't know Concordia, it's a Euro game where you trade in the Mediterranean. Oh, wow, and wow. It's, it's critically acclaimed. People love it. There's an expansion and a mini expansion and all kinds of things. And I've never won it. And I thought, you know, why don't we put a game on stream and then, you, and then maybe... Did you think maybe, that extra pressure would help? Wow. Way to rub it in. If you've not watched that live stream, Elaine has, throughout the end of it, gone, Oh, Efka, you've won. You've won. You've won this. This is finally your game. <laughs> and then guess what happened? Do you know that I that came across really poorly? I was trying to be supportive. Like, uh -huh. come on, I know you've I know you've got it. You've done it. Come on, yeah. yeah. And it just came across as as me me going, oh no, I haven't won. I have oh, oh I have won. So like what you're <laughs> saying right now, Elaine, <laughs> yeah. is that even with your support, I've not managed to win this game. I mean, you always have my support, Efka. So. <laughs> and finally, Elaine, some games that we're excited about. The one that I'm most excited about is High Rise, which is fulfilling its Kickstarter right now. I watched that Kickstarter so closely because it was such a roller coaster ride. Uh -huh. It was a second attempt at the campaign fulfilling. Yeah. The first time round, it had these big plasticky buildings. 
that didn't work. So they sort of went and redesigned the game and redid the game. And now they it have these. Bright. Yeah, Quan Chai Moria designed artwork, cardboard standees. They look wonderful. Mm. The cover is also Quan Chai Moria. The game looks beautiful. And most importantly, it's from uh, Gil Hover, the host of the Dology podcast. Who, and who who made the networks? Yes, and that is a fantastic game. And is excellent at escape rooms. We've learned that. <laughs> we've learned that whilst he was visiting the United Kingdom at UK Games Expo, and you have done an escape yes, room I have. with Gil. I have. So so there you go, Elaine's biased. Don't trust anything she says about no, high rise. Don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't. Uh, but I'm I'm really excited about it, uh, and it was an extra roller coaster for me because um, we moved. And I had the wrong address on when I did the Kickstarter. And thankfully that all got sorted out, or so we think. Yeah, uh, we hope so. And we hope the game arrives to the correct destination. <laughs> Elaine, I am excited to finally try out the Root expansion. Oh yeah, me too. Talking about roller coaster Kickstarter campaigns, there's been some issues with the delivery service uh mm. that uh, uh letter games, leader mm. games. I still don't know how have I not found this out. Anyway. Uh, they had some issues with the uh, people who were fulfilling the game to right. Europe and it's been massively delayed to the point where I think people had their copies of the Root expansion at the end of last year yeah. or maybe at the start of this year. And um, we only just got it now. Yeah, we only just got it now. It just came through the mail. But it was very exciting because it, there was lots of it. <laughs> there was there was so much of it. And of course, we're now in quarantine, so playing Root with just you and me is maybe not necessarily going to be ideal, but we're going to try it out. Yeah. We're going to try out the bot as yeah, well, definitely. you know, add in a third automated player, see how that works. We've never tried that. So that's exciting for me. I and want... the Vagabonds look great. Yeah, there's a little pack of like Vagabond new meeples and there's new Vagabonds, I, which is my favorite faction to play, I think. I love playing the Vagabond. I'm excited by the moles, especially. Like, yeah. I was looking at their faction sheet and the things that, like digging tunnels and stuff. That's cool. I'm, I'm cool. excited to play those. And I think I think that's the games we're excited. Oh, no, there's one more game that I'm excited about. Uh-huh. I, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. Of course. How that, did I forget that? That is coming in the mail apparently very, very really? soon. I'm not sure we're allowed to talk about our opinions until a certain... I don't think there's an embargo, but there, there was a request. I, I'll have to clarify how soon we can talk about it. Uh, and specifically whether we could stream it maybe a little bit mm. early and see whether that could be a thing because I, I think a lot of people would like to see just just an early preview. Of, I mean, like, I'd like to see it. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. I'm I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm very excited to just dip into more Gloomhaven in a more accessible form and just maybe maybe you know if it's if it feels slightly lighter, just mm. you know bash out a couple of games in the go. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see if that works. We'll find out. Elaine, I'm so delighted. This is finally Hi. my my Evka Grumps About a Game segment. Hooray. Today it's fulfilling a, a much wanted and and much desired need for both myself and some of the publishers who send us games because they send us a lot of publishers send us games and their review copies and then we get the game and we're sort of excited by it because it's a new game and we, we like exploring new games and how they work and and then we open it up and play it and go, well, that was disappointing. And and what do we do with this now? Because if we do like full coverage, it's going to be negative. I think people are going to... Sometimes there's just not a lot that's exciting to Where say about a game. I have, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have a thing. Just bear with uh-huh. me. So 
there's there's this moment where like ah, if I cover it, it's not going to be interesting for the audience. It's not going to be interesting for me or for the publisher because the publisher is just not getting good coverage. And so we sometimes just don't cover a game that's been sent to us, which is disappointing to say, but it's just the reality of it where sometimes covering a game serves less than actually not covering it. But now, now I get to alleviate some of that guilt. And I'm mentioning this specifically because uh, so today's game is Paladins of the West Kingdom and uh, the publisher and designer, Sean Phillips, sent us a copy of the previous game, mm -hmm. Architects of the West Kingdom, mm -hmm. And I didn't get on with that game, but I thought, you know, there's a lot of promise and potential here, but I just don't think that any, any coverage would benefit it. And so we didn't cover it. And then I wrote to uh, Sean Phillips saying when, when they announced Paladins of the West Kingdom, and actually when it was, not when they announced, when it was shipping out to backers mm -hmm. because it was on Kickstarter and then delivered. And I say, you know, I'd really love to have a look because the first game didn't quite live up to what I wanted, but there, there's been so much positive coverage of Paladins. In fact, I believe it was it was nominated for one of the Golden Geek Awards, mm -hmm. or maybe even one. I'm not sure. I, no, I think Wingspan won everything, but it was nominated. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'm just I'm clearly not in tune with with some of the things that people find exciting about games. And I think this segment will probably uh, bridge the gap of sometimes why we're just not excited about a Euro game that other people are and I'm not gonna this isn't meant to be a long conversation about a game this is why it's Efka grumps about a game mm -hmm. rather than an actual mm -hmm. review so the thing that I did not get on with Paladins of the West Kingdom and actually a lot of your games that I don't get on with is yeah. is this sort of opposite focus of what I find interesting right. and important in a Euro game we mentioned this in our barrage review where I said Barrage. Barrage? Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Barrage review, where I said in the video, I say specifically that it focuses on the right thing where the action selection is super easy. You just place a worker, yes. but then the decisions that stem from that are, are flowing. Yeah, exactly. So, see what I did there because water. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm going to briskly move on from that. <laughs> uh, flow away from it, if you will. <laughs> um, so trickle away <laughs> by now it is a trickle uh -huh. balance of the west kingdom as i said does the exact exact opposite where you have really complicated action selection in a pointsality type game mm. where you know the, the focus is is points it's sort of themed around paladins mm -hmm. medieval paladins mm -hmm. and there's, Loosely, there's some yeah. praying and some looting i think that's happening but effectively what you have is you have a lot of different kinds of workers and they're of different kinds of colors mm -hmm. and then as the game continues you are able to acquire more workers in more different kinds of colors and they do different things and they do different things but effectively well, they allow you to do different things yeah because what you need is frequently a combination of free right. workers and some of them can be any color and some of them have to be very specific colors and the clever part in that game is that you know as as you keep investing into a one particular type of action you're kind of enabling a particular scoring opportunity in the game more and more. It just keeps growing and you're able to milk more points out of it. So, so for example, if you're investing in the Absolve action, you get to put out these jars and these jars go onto these spaces where if you cover them up, you get bonuses. 
and you get to uncover houses on different spaces like if you do the commission action you get to take off houses you get to put them elsewhere mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. whole Terra Mystica thing mm-hmm. and and the more you do it the more everything goes back to Terra Mystica yeah uh the the more the more you uncover scoring opportunities as you continue through the game yeah. i i find that to be incredibly dull and just just unpleasant because i'm sitting there going you know, how do I do this action that I want to do because I haven't got the right worker. So a lot of the game is trying to sit there and figure out, okay, well, if I take this action and this action and this action, I will be able to arrive at the conclusion I've arrived 20 minutes ago, which is I will score points. And I just don't find that engaging. I find it a lot more engaging to have the opposite in your game, like Barrage, mm. where, you know, it's, it's it's not about that. It's more about like, well, okay, the, the action of placing something is very simple. I just place a worker. But then there's this whole trickle-down thing and interaction with players. You know, if I do this, how is that going to make them respond to what I do? Yeah, you're right. You're, you're very much playing that game on your own and choosing the decisions on your own, like yeah. based on what you've already done. I think it rewards kind of deep thinking about a certain strategy and going hard on that strategy and not veering off of it. Yeah. Otherwise, if you try and diversify and do other things to get different rewards, mm-hmm. you kind of slow down yes. a lot. Yes. Um, but you also have to kind of diversify a bit because you've mm-hmm. only got a, a limited amount of workers yes. that can do the thing that you need to do to get the points. Um, I don't think I disliked it as much as you. I I am surprised because I I found it a very dull affair. And if you remember, we when we played it last time, we didn't mm. even finish the game because we right. were like, yeah, no, well, I, I mean, we've we've done this. This doesn't feel different or exciting enough. It feels very much like a thing we've seen a lot. There is some innovation, but that innovation I think is only masquerading like like a foregone conclusion. A very similar game that upset me for the same reasons is Genties, which is uh-huh. Stefan Rieshaus' uh-huh. uh, follow-up. Well, it's not a follow-up, but it's, it's next game after Arkwright. And Arkwright was this just uh, immensely pleasing game. Again, and another mm. game we have covered on the mm. podcast, I think on the very first episode even. Maybe. Uh, but, but Arkwright was just this sprawling mess of a decision space that I could lose myself in, uh, whereas Genties had this whole action economy of like well you can you can you can borrow time effectively but all that meant is that you had less workers the next round when you played and i didn't it just felt like nifty action selection but then very very rote strategy kind of like well if i do more of this i get more points and i just find that not pleasing in a game so Mm. i think that's you said you found it quite fiddly War Paladins of the West yeah. Kingdom? Oh, super fiddly, because there's a lot of these tiny workers, you have to put them down. But not physically fiddly, like mentally fiddly. Oh, yeah. Like there was a lot of things that you had to make tiny decisions about over and over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And I don't think you found that rewarding or fulfilling. No, I didn't. That's that. That's it, really. That's This segment is short. This is mm-hmm. Evka grumps about a game. I grumped about Paladins of the West Kingdom. You might like it. A lot of people like that game. I don't. Let's move on. (laughs) Let's talk about one of my favourite types of game to play. Go on then. Escaping the room. Wow. Well, (laughs) we finally arrived. So, again, a segment that came out of a need, out of a necessity. And that need 
was not the need for speed. It wasn't the need for cowbell. Wow. It was it was the need for escaping from a room. Sure, sure. A need for a feeling a little bit cleverer than I do in real life. Yes, because we like puzzles, right? We enjoy puzzles. We want to talk about puzzles. We want to have an excuse to play more escape room games. This is that excuse. Well, I, I want an excuse to make you play more escape room games, I think. Because I would always play an escape room game anytime. Like if, if I you just said, said right now, yeah, like, right now, let's go go play here. Stop the podcast. Like, no, like, that's fine. Like, just leave it going. Thank but you. then we'll spoil everything for people. <laughs> we'll do it in silence. Uh, okay, great, what what is today's what is today's game, Elaine? Uh, it is Exit Theft on the Mississippi. Um, you have a box, yes, and it's a one-time only use. So you will have to cut things up, fold things, tear things, arrange things in a certain way to fulfil all the puzzles. You're you're not telling the best bit. Which is that I've done the mechanics. There's the mechanism. There's the dial. Hit, there's the dial. The there is also a, a decoder dial. dial. A decoder dial. Which yeah, the the it seems to come in every box. You get a decoder dial mm-hmm. and a deck of cards. So when you think you know the answer, it's it's always a code of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to put the numbers into this decoder dial, kind of like a a safe yeah code thing where you move the dial around until it reaches the number, and you look at the deck of cards. And you find that number in the deck of cards. Uh, and it gives you a symbol, which is the puzzle that you're doing. And another number. And then you find that number in the deck of cards. And then it tells you if you're right or wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, you can't easily look at the wrong card, is is my point, I think. You can't easily reveal a, an answer to a puzzle that you're not doing. I like this element of exit. What I don't like is the disposability of it and and the feeling that you can't you know if if i play this okay it's cool to cut things up with scissors because that's frequently what you end up doing it's almost by now when i played exit i feel like a lot of puzzles sort of forced themselves onto this like you have to cut things it felt like there were a few puzzles in this one where we could have easily played the same puzzle without destroying the maybe There were some that definitely required destruction that felt like, well, you couldn't do this puzzle in any other way, right? right? But there were also others, and I noticed this, like, like, well, the destruction element feels sort of tacked onto it because you could have done it without that. And I think what I like about the destructiveness is when when it's at its best, when it actually, like, makes the puzzles physical, Mm. you know, and you have to manipulate objects in different ways. Mm. And I think that's nice. And this isn't lacking that, but... But it also had puzzles that did have destruction that were like just, well, we we could have done this without scissors. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but that's half the fun. I guess like, so. You go all in with yeah. it. You don't worry about... What I do worry about is cutting up the wrong thing or cutting it up in the wrong way or folding it in the wrong way and ruining the puzzle. It's so pervasive, that sense of like, uh-huh. am, I, am uh-huh. I supposed uh-huh. to be doing this? <laughs> but I think that's also meant to be part of the fun because so far... I've never managed to muck anything up in an exit game. No. It does give you hints that you're supposed to fold or cut. Yeah. Because it has like dotted lines or uh, thick lines. There's almost like a language to exit. A little bit. And then you kind of, you come to terms with it and you go, okay, I'm just meant to do this. It's fine. You know, Mm. just go ahead, cut. It'll be okay. And then you do it and it is okay. And there's that revelatory moment of, 
okay, this is fine. <laughs> I didn't mess this See, up. See, I, I don't really feel like... Well, yeah, I guess. Um, but I don't worry about tearing things up or cutting things up. It's just like playing a, a legacy game. That's what you're supposed to do. That is part of the fun. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a one-off. It's an ephemeral thing. And mm. then it's gone. Mm. But you still have the memory of solving those puzzles or feeling smart or not smart. Yeah. So... <laughs> I do want to say that, okay, so this is clearly set in the Mississippi on a steamboat. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not going to give too much more away about the plot, but I am going to say one thing about the scope of this adventure Mm. and what it's trying to get you to do. uh, And by adventure, I mean puzzle. One of the things that I've already seen in Exit, and the first time it was done, it was completely brilliant. It was, I think it was called Murder on the Orient Express. I'm not not sure if that's the title, but it's the Orient Express box of Exit. And if you haven't played an Exit game, that one's quite difficult, but I think it was my favorite one that I've ever played. Mm. And uh, I I really enjoyed it, even more so than the Tomb of Horrors one, which was the double one, which was also pretty good. But but this this was definitely the best one. This, the theft on the Mississippi, riffs a lot on the Murder on the Orange Express sure. one in that there is an overarching mystery that you're trying to solve at the same time whilst you're trying to solve puzzles. And I will say that the execution of this mystery was much worse than in the first one. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'm not sure that I completely agree with that. Um, And I like the way that the puzzles led you to a conclusion in this. And that was better because it it presented more of a narrative scope, right? Than, Than a regular exit adventure. But what I didn't gel with is that the arrival, once you eventually get there, I didn't feel like there was anything particularly revelatory. Sure. Or like the conclusion, sure. the conclusion didn't come with a bang, it came with a whimper, mm. right? And I was okay. like, okay, well, we're here now and it's yeah, fine, I, let's wrap I this up. I agree with that you know? to, to some extent. And also I will note that because there have now been quite a lot of exit games out there, it's starting to feel like the limitation of that box and the components, the way the game is designed, is sort of starting to reach a saturation point where they've done everything they could think of. And now they're like, well, what else can we do? Maybe. But I that doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the puzzles for me. What I did find in this more than Murder on the Orient... Murder on the Orient Express, that's quite a mouthful, mm-hmm. was that I needed to suspend my disbelief more because the puzzles were a bit more abstract, whereas in Murder, they kind of all made sense. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing felt like there was kind of a setup on yeah. purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in this, I did feel like some of the puzzles were very kind of linear and, oh, this is what you have to do in this weird situation. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that took away from the enjoyment a bit. Well, I think this this is an excellent point and, and it very much highlights one of the main differences between Exit and Unlock, mm. which are is, the, I guess, the, the competitor, the, the other big competitor. escape room game out there. There's room for both. There's room for both, <laughs> uh, so much so that I, I'm actually probably going to suggest we append this discussion here okay. and then return next week after we play the Unlock game. Uh-huh. Uh, not next week, uh, you know, whenever this podcast is next out. Next time. Next time, yeah. We return next time when when we've played an unlock game and we can give people a bit more of a compare and contrast 
between exit and unlock yeah, and how sure. how that game's developed so far there's a lot of unlock adventures we haven't played so i'm looking forward to that so finally we reached the big finale the star of the show the star of the show the one that you've you're all here for it is teotihuacan the city, city of, of gods, gods. teotihuacan is a one to four player euro game an average weight euro game where you travel around Teotihuacan, the city of gods, and you stop at various places. And in those places, you get to do things like gather some resources or spend those resources to go up on various tracks and score points. Or build pyramids. Or build pyramids. Mm. <laughs> okay, so Teotihuacan comes from Polish publisher Boards and Dice, and uh, the designer is Daniel Tassini. Uh, and it's been helmed as the unofficial spiritual sequel to Tolkien, the Mayan calendar, a game that had a board with cogs, yes. <laughs> big plastic cogs turning around and turning one another. And that was the big selling point of that game. And this, this, this the selling point, this does not have cogs. But it does have wooden blocks. And those wooden blocks are very nice and very they pretty. They are very nice. They look like marshmallows. So for those who are familiar with board game terminology, uh, Teotihuacan City of Gods is a rondel game. Mm. And what that means, if you're not familiar, is that you're basically traveling around in a circle and then where you stop determines what you can do. But generally, you can't go back or if you can go back, there's like penalties associated yeah. with it. If and... you want to go back, you have to go back all the way around. Yeah, exactly, right? So that... you can skip over a space, mm. but then you don't get to do the action on that space unless you go all the way back around again. And there's that sort of like hesitation of, ah, oh, I really want to go there, but you... I can't because because if I go there, I'll skip the space that I need to go. And it's, it's a whole thing in your brain. But you it's do fun. have three workers. Three so, dice. So yeah, this is this is the clever thing that Teotihuacan does. There's there's your work as a dice, and there are d sixes, numbered one to six. Although you never get to use the six, which is so infuriating. Yeah. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we have three workers, so instead of moving one worker, you ha actually have three little pieces that you can go. Well, okay, we've, I've moved with this piece further. That's okay. There's there's another one that I can manipulate to go where I needed to go. And that I found that element very pleasing because here's the thing, Elaine. I don't know if you know this about me. I don't like Rondell games. No, I, just, I know you don't. I just don't get on with them. It, it infuriates you find it frustrating. me. Yeah, <laughs> yes, very, very frustrating. The one most famous example of a Rondell game, although technically not a Rondell because it's just a straight line, is Tokaido, which mm. is just a line, and then you whatever you skip, you don't get to do that in the game at all. You just go past it, and. And then you collect points along the way. And I just found that infuriating. There's others that people enjoyed and liked greatly. And I just left my head scratching. It's Heaven and Ale yeah. or Kraftwagen, uh -huh. uh, which is the one I sort of bore and went, actually, that one's not that bad. But this is finally a Rondell game. Don't want to spoil the verdict. I enjoyed. Mm. I want to say enjoyed. There's, there's a big caveat with that enjoy. Yeah, I think for you it was not as bad because there are only eight spaces to go to. Yes. And also, I think what you quite liked, to tell me if I'm wrong on this, mm -hmm. is the fact that you can, and you're encouraged to, double up or triple up your dice and go on the same space with, with more than one worker, mm. effectively, to get better bonuses. 
And I think you quite enjoyed that. I want to talk a little bit about the theme of mm. Teotihuacan and that it's 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 themed as a, you know, a ancient Mayan city mm-hmm. and you're building the pyramid, you're trying mm-hmm. to ascend to godhood. And there's some of the things that mechanically uh, are, are, are tied into that theme a little bit. So yeah. one of the things that happens is that every time your dice travel they if if you decide to do the main action but the the thing is you can every time you land on the space there's like three different things you can do but if you do the main action then that die goes up one pip and then when it reaches pip number six it it doesn't quite reach that pip it it ascends yes i guess in the very pleasant version in in my brain of how this world works is that they just die of old age and it's fine, you know, that's that's ascension. But they clearly die because because there's a whole track that you go up mm. on of, of like... They've done their job. Yeah, people who've um, died. And they've moved on. Yeah. I it, like to think that they've retired. Uh-huh, rather uh-huh. Than, uh, yeah, dying. sure. They've done enough to please the gods. Yeah. And now they can rest. Yeah. But but the whole thing is, yeah, you're building this pyramid. So so aesthetically, I think what, what's happening is a lot of the aesthetics are tying into what is going on in this game thematically. Because you the oh, whole sure. the yeah, whole absolutely. board is framed like a city. You have the pyramid in the center and and every space you go to is the different different municipal building, uh-huh. I guess, in the city. So you go to the stone quarry, you get stone. You get mm-hmm. gold quarry, you get gold, the right? The quarry, yeah. You but get wood. but there's so much detail on the board. There's little people doing things. Playing and board game. Playing board game, yeah. <laughs> it's and quite nice. It's 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 very nicely drawn and it feels vibrant. It makes the city come alive. And there's it makes also, sense also yeah, there's also these big wooden building blocks that you actually build the pyramid from, and that is a you know three D object in the middle of the mm. board that is going up and up and up. And that's a little puzzle in itself. Yes, but we're I think we're going to talk about that puzzle in just a second, and I I specifically want to hear how you feel mm. about it. But there's one last thing I wanted to add about the aesthetics and the theme is that that's the one thing that sort of really ties the theme. Uh, of the game is the aesthetics then there's some mechanisms are framed around it but honestly i want people to know going into teotihuacan that as as much as as it's a pleasing game it's mostly just a point salad where there's tracks and you're manipulating those tracks and yeah. you, you you're moving dice and you're trying to figure out a resource management puzzle yes right i think it, the the theme it very heavily weighs on the theme and it relies on the theme to propel you through the game into what otherwise could be a very dry resource management game. Oh, but you know what? At no point does it succeed for me thematically, even though I've just praised its aesthetics, <laughs> right? At no point does it succeed thematically engaging me into this uh, Mayan. Know, yes. I don't know. I'm so sorry. I'm very particularly ignorant about South American history and South American cultures. It's something I'm going to brush up on yeah. and do some reading. But but certainly yeah me too we didn't we didn't really learn about that at no school. but that and not just learn about it at school but it's i think it says something about the game itself that it is it is this evocative aesthetic product that is very pleasing to look at that makes and you want to learn more that well it didn't though no. because because i, I didn't want to learn more did it okay mm. well i'm glad it succeeded at that because it didn't for me because i'm just looking at the mechanisms and going well this is a euro game puzzle you know a point salad puzzle and i i actually found myself divorcing from the theme and i think normally when i play a game like 
Pax Pamir, mm. or, you know, even Pipeline. Uh, <laughs> well, because it's about the oil sure. industry, right? And you know that there's a lot of a lot of bad stuff happening in the oil industry, but it made me it made me want to go learn. It made mm. me want to go read because mm-hmm. you know with Pipeline, I really enjoy that game. I engage with it not just on a mechanical level but on a thematic level, and I'm going well. You know, I I'm I'm clearly embodying someone that's not a very nice person. And to reconcile that in my head, I wanted to go and learn more about the oil industry. And that's a discussion. Did you learn anything good? No, I didn't. I learned a lot of bad things, uh-huh. Elaine. But that's a discussion for another mm-hmm. podcast episode, I believe. But Teotihuacan did not spark that need of of learning and knowledge and I think that's for me the ultimate litmus test of whether a theme works or not. Wow uh, I had no idea you felt quite like that about it. I think for me it was the opposite. There's so much going on in this game that mm-hmm. at one point I was just looking at pretty pictures on a board like <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing anymore but my brain was going off into well I wonder what this god actually does or like I wanted to find out more about the theme or how did they build these these uh, pyramids because I think you learn a lot like certainly at school we learned a lot about Egyptian pyramids mm-hmm. and things and, and ancient Egyptians but this is not an area of history that we covered at all and I don't even know how to pronounce a lot of the gods in this game no yeah and... I remember there was uh, there was a Dungeons and Dragons theme adventure that was based around Mind civilizations and i was very grateful that there was a pronunciation guide uh because i could go oh okay that's how you pronounce that name anything uh that came out of the mayan civilization Mm -hmm. and that's i don't like that feeling i want to learn more about your lack of knowledge makes you uncomfortable right yeah okay i understand Um, that however this is not my favorite game no, I, I can imagine why. Let's maybe not bury the lead. So first of all, you mentioned you mentioned that you zoned out at one point. That was with all the expansions included, right? So right. I, I don't think that the main game is that complicated. No. And actually, a few points on accessibility that I wanted to mention. So first of all, price. This, oh, it's super cheap. Yeah. This box. It's, it's very I, I, reasonable. We, we bought it. This is not a review copy. We bought it for £33, mm. which was just astoundingly cheap for all that you get. Like all these chunky wooden pieces where you build a pyramid you know just the fact that all of this was included at such a cheap price that baffles me and for that alone maybe it is worthy of being considered a purchase but let's get into that a little bit later second not that hard to learn not to mention because there's also a watch it played video that teaches you how you can play the game and that makes it very accessible there's quite a lot of actions but quite a lot of them do very similar things like you can pray to different gods Mm -hmm. but the mechanism of praying is the same for each god yeah it just moves you up a different track yeah or there are different resources to collect but how you collect them is the same you move, you put your die onto that spot and then you collect some resources whether it's gold or wood or stone that's what you do so on the surface yeah it's simple but also there's a lot of decision space that goes into actually just taking the action one of the things you need to consider is what pit values on the dice that you're sending because if you're sending it to one of the resource gathering spaces then you know how much wood you're going to get on the wood collecting spot depends not only just on the pit value so you get no wood if you place a one value die but you get something else instead if you place a two value a three value die you get 
one would mm. however if there's more dice those variables change again so you mm. might have placed a die on the wood collecting spot earlier mm -hmm. and then you sent a second die there and suddenly they're doubling up they're mm -hmm. doing double work the resources are getting better and better so you get to sort of build up like that and and that can sound really appealing because you're like oh okay okay i'm getting more and more resources if i keep doing the same action but first of all you have to draw your dice across the board to that same mm -hmm. one action mm -hmm. spot but then on top of that you're also wasting precious time just collecting wood whilst other people are doing other things like getting points. <laughs> That's uh, very true. And there's a lot of ways of getting points. There's, as Elaine mentioned, there's a bunch of tracks. They have different endgame scoring conditions at the end of the game. Uh, there's also uh, building the pyramid mm -hmm. itself. And there's, you get to put these little steps on the pyramid, which is another... <laughs> The set collection too. You can collect masks, masks for example. Yeah, uh, and they're cool or not, depending on how your game's going and if the masks are or not. This, there's so <laughs> many variables in this game that you can easily just lose yourself going, ooh, I want this, ooh, I mm. want that, I want this. And there's a serotonin hit that you're constantly <laughs> getting from just wandering around and, and doing things. I'm picking up some wood. What I liked about it is that you don't have to move each worker separately so you don't have to you move one worker and then another one and then the third one you can move one worker once and then move that same worker again if you want to mm -hmm. so you can you can build that thing up where you get all three in one go at no point do you feel like anything is just been really explosive it's more like well i just made a lot of concessions to make this happen you alluded to this but i don't think we love teotihuacan and I think it's time to talk about why. Mm. One of the reasons I didn't like it is because I often felt like in this very circular game, things felt very, very circular. Mm. And there isn't a real... There's some sense of build-up in terms of, once again, going back to what we talked about in the bit about Palace of, of the West Kingdom, it's complex action selection but then where you arrive is is pretty road mm. you're just going yeah. up tracks and getting points and you're putting a lot of work to make it happen and sometimes that reward can feel like well a little flat yeah i i got some points and that's fine uh but on top of that teotihuacan doesn't really have any sense of building an engine you're always sure. contributing towards the score at the end of the game sure but you have that real flump quite often of like, well, I gathered some resources, I've now spent them, and I'm starting this all over again. Yes, I don't. I think you're right. There's not an engine that builds up throughout the game. I think you can have one turn where you've done some things that will give you quite an explosive turn, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that your next turn will be just as good. You, it, you're, you're right. You spent all your resources now, and that's it. You need to go and gather them again. Yeah. Um, and I think that can feel a little disappointing. I think for me, the biggest thing that kind of put me off with the expansions, I know you really enjoyed them mm -hmm. um, compared to the base game. But for me, I didn't feel like they changed the game quite enough. Um, I felt like they just added more of the same thing. <laughs> they added another God track that, was slightly different from the other god tracks. Mm -hmm. um, they added a a god that gave you a 
reward and also a negative. Yeah. But it didn't, for me, feel like it was interesting enough and it just made it more confusing and for them to be more things for me to think about. Because there were more but, but more not, things not to bounce way. into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't feel like I was making any more interesting decisions or that I had a, a better idea of what I wanted to do in the game. Mm. I just felt like there were more spaces that I could go to or different spaces that I could go to that would sort of do the same thing. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about Coco. And the whole mechanism of how Coco works. Uh -huh. So Coco is one of the resources uh -huh. in the game, but it functions very differently to other resources. So frequently to do things like build the pyramid steps, to build the pyramid itself, or yeah. to go up on tracks. You uh, There's little houses you build, and that's the avenue of the dead track mm -hmm. as well, that you advance on. Those all require resources, yes. and those resources are wood, stone, and, and gold. And Cocoa is a different resource mm. because cocoa is directly tied into how much you can take actions. And sometimes you can spend cocoa on other things, uh, especially if you have like some sort of a special ability, you can power it up. But largely it's to do with how, what action can I do right now? So normally on a rondelle, you're going to go on a rondelle, you just land on the space, you do that action. In Teotihuacan, this is slightly different. You have cocoa and you have to count, count how many dice there are on the action spot but specifically not exactly how many dice but how many dice of different colors are already present on the action board and then let's say there's uh we're playing with four players so there's your dice there's steve's dice there's susan's dice and there's my own dice already there right uh -huh. and then i move in with my own dice but there's already four different colors there which means that because steve elaine susan and afka I just totally made up Steve and uh -huh. Susan. But anyway, um, if you are listening and you're Steve and Susan, hi. Um, there's four dice, which means I need to pay four cocoa just to land on that step. Yeah. Alternatively, I can, when I go to an action spot, go just, well, okay, I'm not taking the main action at all. I'm once again counting how many dice are already there. And I take that right. much cocoa plus one. Right. And there's a third thing you can do, but we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But there's this whole like economy of cocoa that you either spend or get, and then you need cocoa at the end of every eclipse phase. The game is split into three phases, and there's a kind of like a, a crescendo at the end of every phase where you score some points, but also pay cocoa for your workers, mm. which means if you haven't got quite the right amount of cocoa, you're getting punished by losing losing points, points. and and. What is I one last thing I want to mention here before we go into the discussion and rules wise very important is that the game rounds are limited and there's this little track of like the pit moves it's like the round marker and it it somehow unlike in other games where moving the round marker is very evident there's this one thing in Teotihuacan where one person is responsible for moving the round track and whether it was me or it was you. I, I just always forget about it. And then <laughs> yes, I'm sure we've taken extra turns <laughs> that we weren't meant to have in this game. But it doesn't matter because it's it's just whatever they've done with it, maybe aesthetically or rules-wise, people just forget moving that round tracker. And it's really annoying. But, but you are counting turns. And yes. every turn you miss is important. So when, when you go, well, okay, I just have to collect Coco this round because I can't go anywhere because there's dice everywhere. Yeah. 
it just feels so deflating. I don't know if you feel like that about it or not. A little not. bit. Like, I feel like at some points you're forced into that because you're never going to manage to balance the right amount of cocoa. You're, you're never going to quite have enough by doing yeah. the other actions yeah. in order to not have to do that stop and go, okay, well, I just have to collect cocoa this round. And I, I don't know if... I mean, it's fair, I guess, because everyone will have to do that at some point. But for me, I wish that didn't exist i wish there was something more that you could do in the game to get coco mm -hmm. without having to do that like it was a more dynamic resource where right. it, it didn't just tie into this i mean I, like we said it does tie into a few other things but yeah so like if if one of your dice yeah. does ascend yeah uh, so it becomes a six um and ascend one of the options that you can get as a reward is to collect five cocoa or or you can pay cocoa to go up on two tracks which will hopefully get you to scoring conditions or yeah. and there's another one you can get a fourth die yeah because you normally have three but you can get four you don't take more actions you just have more maneuverability around the yes. board and maybe your actions are better because you it's easier to double those dice up yes but but more importantly, you will now have to feed, feed that die as well. So and you have to feed them more the older they get. Or yeah. Like the more pips that the, are on the die. They just sit and eat. They do a lot of things. <laughs> Strangely, like it, it, it's directly inverse to how a human life goes. Because I feel like as we start our lives, we just eat a lot as teenagers. Uh, but also we have a lot of uh -huh. energy. And as we get older and older, we eat less and we uh -huh. have less energy. And and this is the opposite. Like the older, well, maybe that's why we're giving them extra cocoa. To, you know, to keep yeah. them energy. Yeah, but energized. they do more and and they eat more anyway. Uh, so I guess there's my thematic tie-in, mm -hmm. right? That I was mm -hmm. looking for. Um, yeah, but I I I'm with you 100. percent I want I want to excite the whole cocoa thing from the game. If it was my will, I would remove any mention of cocoa, and I think it would make a better, cleaner game for it because mm. the actions. Uh, decision space in terms of choosing what action I want to take would be a lot less convoluted and you would be a lot more focused on what is it that I want to do if we look at good rather points than what can I do yeah rather than what can I do mm. uh, if we look at good point salad games like mm. Castles of Burgundy mm. and I don't just mean good I mean this is the cream of the crop right for sure yeah it's a good game you know I <laughs> you have restrictions on what you can do you always have restrictions but it feels exciting. You know, it's a very clear puzzle. Like you look at it and you go, I can do this. I can't do that. What decision do I want to make yes. out of the things that I can do? Yeah. And that to me is pleasing. Here, you just... You don't get that sense. No, at all. I think that is a very good point. Um, and I don't know what they could do to create that restriction. Because I think there has to be something in the game where you can't just willy-nilly go to everyone else's spaces and do whatever you like. Yeah, that would be dull, wouldn't it? I think so, yeah. Mm. I, be, there wouldn't be enough restriction uh, to make it thinky, to make to make you go, okay, well, what what is my best option here? Yeah. But I think having that, that, that real kind of underlying need always to think about Coco, which took up a portion of my brain that I really needed... To play it this was a game. good portion. You didn't want to um, let go of it, right? No, because potentially at the end of every eclipse phase, which yeah. happens quite what it feels like quite frequently. Yeah. Um, so there are three eclipse phases in a game, mm. and at the end of each of those, you can lose up to like nine points. Or if you've got that fourth die, 
uh, 12 points if you can't feed your workers. Yeah. That's, that's plus three, isn't it? Nine plus three is 12. Uh, if you can't feed any of your workers. Well, more, because, so if you have four dice and each of them are four or so fives, that's two. Oh, that's two. That's oh, two cocoa per, yeah, per worker, yeah. right? And each cocoa that you can't pay is three points. So if you end up with uh, eight eight times three, what is that? 24. 24. Yeah, you could lose 24 points, potentially. It's unlikely. No, it is but unlikely. It's, it, but that, that feeling is always there. Yeah, it's a tenth of your score and you could do it three yeah. times per game, right? Yeah. So you could... You could lose 30% of your points for doing nothing for doing nothing yeah. yeah but you through no fault of your own yeah I mean no it's I mean, <laughs> it's not no you, you should have you know not spent the cocoa but it's there but, but sometimes you don't feel like you have an option like to yeah. do an action you have to spend a cocoa like because and then so, otherwise you're just doing nothing right even in a two-player game you have this kind of automa uh, kind of that takes up action spaces yes. so that you haven't got free for all wherever you want to go you want to go um so you would have to pay cocoa or i guess you would get more cocoa if you go to that space and you collect it um but there is always something you have to pay mm. you can't I, I do feel like it's no fault of your own because otherwise you just don't do an action and and I think also if so what you can do in the game is lock a die in. So if you want to pray to a god, which means you go up a track, um, which ultimately will give you extra points or it will give you a resource or more cocoa, mm-hmm. you have to lock in your die, which means that it is there until um, so you can't move it around the board until you pay three cocoa to yes. unlock, and you can unlock all your dice at once. Or what you can do, which I found myself having to do, was kind of skip your turn. If you don't have enough cocoa to unlock the dice, just skip your turn and it unlocks all the dice. And then that's your turn. And that was fun. I mean... I probably mismanaged the resources to some extent. But it was my first time playing or my second time playing. And that felt really punishing. I can very much relate to how you're feeling about this. And and, and it, it does... We're once again what we're doing. We're stringing the game up by one mechanism because I think what we're well, what we're not yeah. saying is that a lot of Teotihuacan is enjoyable. But the reason we're perhaps not sounding as enthused as mm. we should be, first of all, is because we don't like the cocoa mechanism at all. Second is because a lot of what we see in it is already what we've seen in a lot of games. We've seen rondelles. We've seen going up on tracks. The innovative part is the moving the dice around the yeah. rondelle and the, the fact that there's three and the of them. And... Yeah, and ascension. And there's a, a lot of cool mechanisms and a lot of things to bounce from. But this, so I, instead of stringing the game up by one mechanism, I'm gonna I'm gonna add some other mechanisms I didn't enjoy about the game. Sure. So aesthetically, the pyramid, gorgeous and wonderful, right? Love it. Yes. Game wise, I think it's one of the most dull euro game puzzles i really like i've that. ever played <laughs> we have very differing opinions yeah. about that little puzzle we do we do so here here's the thing uh so the pyramid is is basically there's some of it built at the start of the game and each wooden segment has four symbols but then the way you build more steps on top the symbol the the blocks themselves don't line up they tessellate to kind of form like a pyramid right you know yes. a pyramid shape uh, so, uh, but so you're told exactly where you can put a block, and that block has four symbols, right? And then, 
what you get out of putting that block is points. You'll get points based on which level you manage to put it on, and that sometimes relates to how many dice you manage to put on that action space and how big those dice were, mm -hmm. but also whether there's an available space to begin with and whether you have the resources to spend it. And once all of that has aligned for you, right, you will take a choice of one out of three available tiles uh -huh. and then you'll get more points and potentially going up on other tracks if you manage to put the symbols that are on the block correctly overlaying the symbols that already existed directly underneath <laughs> on the space that you're placing it on like this is the wordiest description of a game mechanism ever but but the point i'm trying to make is that because it's a sea of symbols mm -hmm. right and you're often constricted as to where you can build um, you have a choice of three, and they never line up perfectly. And but you just look at the three and go, well, okay, I'm gonna look at this one first, and then I'm gonna look at all the potential available spaces that are allowed by my resources, dice, and whatever. Right. It's, you kind of mostly you have like two or three spaces that you right. can build on, and, and you go, well, this scores me an extra point. This one scores me two extra points. You generally can build on the ground though you, you well if there's space available if, if someone built built yeah. that up you know then you can't well, no. right but anyway you just go okay well this one's gonna score me that many points you just basically look it's a simple matching puzzle it's it's one it's it's a time waster on a cell phone you know it's like a clicker where you <laughs> wow. go yeah yeah how, you feel quite strongly about i that. feel very strongly I about that i would like to play this game with more than two people because i think that would change that puzzle up quite significantly because I, other people would be building whereas I kind of left the building of the pyramid to you to some extent because that's what you seem to be doing yeah and I you build the steps I on the pyramid the steps yeah on the pyramid so yeah. as well as the little blocks every way, time we played we we right. somehow fell into those roles right. yeah uh, as well as the little wooden blocks that you build a physical 3d pyramid yeah. there are also kind of step tiles that they're called decorations decorations yeah, yeah. um <laughs> Because they're more colourful and they yeah, make it nicer. Right. Uh, yeah. That you can build um, around the pyramid and up the pyramid. Um, mm. And I kind of concentrated more on that and let you do most of the building of the pyramid. Although I did build it too. Yeah. Um, um, I enjoyed that puzzle and I would like to see it with more people because I think the the dynamic of building that pyramid and those steps would change significantly. I agree with you in the sense that maybe, once again, you know, from a kind of a completion perspective, like, look, this pyramid is getting built more, yes. uh, you know, it's it's bigger, that's satisfying, that's nice. But I disagree with you in that it would become better with more players, because I think what's going to happen is it's actually going to get worse, it's going to become even less predictable, because if you're, like, largely just in a two-player game, one person sort of focusing on this part of the strategy of the game, you can go, well, okay, if I build this step there the next turn i can sort of plan to maybe take this tile sure. and match yeah, it on yeah. with okay. more players that's not going to happen it's just going to be random you're just going to go into the space look at the free tiles available and go that one's the but most that's points not what i was doing right. right so i was like do i build now mm, no because those tiles aren't very good i'm going to wait for you to build not such a good tile and then see what comes out next sure or, or yeah so you you struck when the opportunity yes, was right that's yeah. what i was trying to do which mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily the, the best thing to do because building is quite a chunk of points in this game it is um overall and i probably didn't build enough because of that but that was my fault and i would like to see that pyramid 
build up more and I should have built more. Well, you know what, Elaine? Let's move on to the slightly more positive things. Can I just mention the action I really didn't like? Go on. Which was the pay two wood and put down a little house. Right, like, okay. That, that bothered me a lot. Like, it felt so unrewarding because mm. it gave you a couple of victory points and moved you up the what's that track called? Track of the uh, Avenue track Avenue, Avenue of the Dead of track. Dead. Yeah, but the problem with it is that <laughs> the more you move up on the Avenue of the Dead, the less houses you want to have put out because right. the score is multiplied by those two factors. Right, and it changes. Yeah, and the more houses you put out, that number becomes smaller and smaller. Exactly. So by going up one track, you're reducing the multiplier of the other. And that felt, I agree with you. Again, I, another thing that I feels really enjoy that not rewarded. I want to sum up a little bit the base game with, we've been negative, but mostly because there are a lot of Euro games. Yes. And this is a fine one. It is a fine Euro game. I don't think it does anything particularly special or outstanding, but it's a good solid game. It's cheap. And it is cheap. It's yes. for a heavier point salad Euro game. If you like that sort of game where there's mm. more solitaire, but there's a little bit of, you know, as Quinns would say from Shove and Sell, a sous-son of player interaction. There is there is that little sprinkling. And a soup song. A soup song. A song of soup. A song of soup of player interaction. Yes. It's there, but it's not prominent in any way. It's not offensive uh, in, in that, like, it's going to really upset you by... S- someone else doing something that you really wanted to do you can mostly get away with anything you want and sometimes you'll be like ah i wish that worker wasn't there because that's costing me cocoa but it's not but the end of the world you can still do that yeah it just costs you extra there's no kind of real blocking off in this game you can no. still do the thing you want to do if you have the resources to do it and i think if you like um like you said you know sort of sandboxy what can i do and mm. it's a, just a sprawl of different actions that you can do i think yeah, you'll quite enjoy this. And for the price that it costs, it's probably worth a punt. Uh, but don't expect to be blown away by something revolutionary. Expect to find something solid, which has a few crippling mechanisms that we particularly didn't enjoy. But that's us. You might feel different about it. You might love the cocoa. You might love the cocoa. But now, now that we've talked about the base game mm. and we introduce the two expansions so the late pre-classic period which is a, a five module expansion that mm-hmm. lets you mm-hmm. mix and match them and also the shadows of zytel i mm-hmm. believe uh a, a little mini expansion that, that adds a few more uh bits and bobs just just to round out your game as technologies which are kind of like unique abilities that you can buy into um and again those five modules you know they're just more things there's an extra track you can go up on mm. there's unique player powers which were labeled as asymmetry that's not asymmetry unique player powers are not asymmetry <laughs> a big problem with that, a very big problem because because asymmetry is you know like we play the game differently and unique player powers are called unique player powers because they are exactly uh-huh. that they are by their own nature asymmetric because if they were symmetric they wouldn't be unique <laughs> I think you make a very good point, yeah. Anyway, you get that, you get you get some new changes to the rules that mostly just add more exceptions to the game. More, yeah. more, more. So in this already point-salady game that has a lot, that adds just more of the same, two, two expansions adding more of the same, do you think I'm going to dislike this game even more for not offering anything particularly innovative and just cramming a whole lot of things? No, I really liked it. Yeah. I like I liked the expansion a lot, yeah, actually. Did. But I think that's 
that's very specific to me um, because you you sort of talked about the expansion yeah, a, a little, little bit. bit. You know, you 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 mentioned what you disliked, and it's all the things that I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason for that is because what this game transformed into with the expansion for me, and we played with everything. We just crammed a whole lot. We went, you know what? Listen, all the modules, the rulebook says don't do that. And yeah, you, and, I know it did. And, and yeah. you, you mentioned it to me. You said, yeah. FK, rulebook says don't do that. <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway because we're naughty. And then what happened? I realized that this, this game was fulfilling its destiny, its promise, which is here's just a whole lot of things and you're going to get serotonin from it. You're going to get rewarded. You're going to push the button, you know, and the biscuit's going to fall out and you're going to get That's the nice biscuit. lost reference. Yeah, you're going to get the fish biscuit. It's going to be happy. Uh-huh. You're going to be happy. Your brain's going to go, here's here's a reward for you, a pleasing feeling. And 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 this is what happens. You add, you cram everything in. Whereas my brain felt like it was being hit by fish biscuits. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Well, I, I felt like I was bouncing. I, I, I gave you this analogy. I was bouncing like a pinball. Yeah. Back and forth and back and forth. And suddenly all these combinations came together, you know. Just adding everything in made it sing because there's all these new strategies to explore and new dimensions and layers to... I, I felt like I was just just a child <laughs> that was happy and and eating crap that I Uh shouldn't be eating and it was just really really calories mostly just calories whereas the analogy that I gave to you I think was a bit more um earthy Mm -hmm. uh in that I said to you I feel like we're both tying lots of little bits of string knots knots in lots of little bits of string but you're tying them so that it makes a longer piece of string you're tying each piece of string into a knot and then adding another one adding another one and i'm just tying lots of knots in individual bits of string and wondering why my string is not getting any longer which i guess we're gonna arrive at the final nail in the coffin of teotihuacan right now and a little bit of a description of what happened in our last game uh which elena has already been giving but but one one thing that's important to know is that i was so far ahead uh, at the end of at the middle of the second eclipse yes. phase, which is right yes. in the middle way through the game, I was so far ahead that Elaine said to me, do you mind if we just finish here, actually? And I didn't because I was like, okay, I already executed a lot of the stuff actually, I wanted I to do. Actually, I think I just went, good game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was it. Once, once I did the thing... Uh, where just a lot of things coalesced into one and I had a turn when I was doing five different things at the same time and one tying into the other, into the other, into the other and feeding, you know, feeding this dough starter of a sourdough starter nice. of, a, nice. of, a, of a mechanism soup uh, that I was de- developing. Yeah, I, I was like, I, I realized that I did so many things and you just looked at me and went, well, that's it, you know, like I, I can't catch up to anything. You can very evidently see that someone, if they are, someone is taking this game away. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I think you were about 50 points in front of me. Mm-hmm. It, uh, that's how I remember it. And it was midway through the game. Yeah. And I still felt like I was bimbling about trying to get enough of what I needed to do the thing I needed. And like I said earlier, you don't necessarily have an engine that continues, but... Mm. If you do have explosive turns, then you really have explosive turns. And 
I never felt like I had managed to build that up mm-hmm. and create those those really good turns. And I think because you don't have that engine, there is never the opportunity to kind of catch up. Yeah, that- you, you haven't got anything that... It, like, if you've been slow and sort of pondering a plan together, you know, that eventually is go- hopefully going to produce something... You're never. That's not. It's just not a thing. This no. doesn't exist in this game. No, I mean there are there are things that you do in this game that will give you extra bonuses, kind of every round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are technologies that you can uh, buy that will do things like giving you a cocoa when you pass a certain point every mm-hmm. time on the rondelle. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't manage to do those things, then you're going to be at a disadvantage. But I, I thought that I didn't need to do those because I could concentrate on a different way of getting points. Mm. But that plan also didn't work out for me. Well, it, it, it's not that it didn't work out. It was just a plan that didn't produce as many points as whatever it was that I was doing. Right. Right. And then you realize, wait a minute, I stumbled into something that doesn't quite work. And now I have to watch Efka <laughs> have fun bouncing back and forth between points and actions and bonus actions and things he's getting. This and, is very true. And, and, and you weren't engaging with the game in that way. And then that just meant, you know, I didn't want to finish that game either. Because no. you said to me, you know, well, good game. Do we have to play this out? And I, I very happily said, even though I was doing pretty well, I very happily said... Well, no, because this feels just like I'm going to be that kid in, in the sand pile, you know, that's just like spread out all his toys and <laughs> he's building everything. And then you come over and like, can I play with this? And you're like, no, like, like no, like, like he's got the best like sand bucket that you can get from like the best toy shop. And you're using like an old yogurt pot. Yeah. And trying to make the same kind of sand castle that he is. No, I know. I know what eventually you mean. just abandoned that idea uh-huh. and go, uh-huh. I don't want to build sand castles I'm, I'm anymore. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. I think, so I did say to you, like, if you want to play it out, like mm. I, I wasn't enjoying it so little that if you'd have said, Oh, like, let's play it out. Let's see how many points I get. Mm. Let's see what else I can do with the things that I've built up. I would have still played. I was still having a nice time. Yeah. But I knew at that point that I was not in the running. <laughs> well, all. I didn't want to play it out. And I we mentioned this over the course of us playing Tertuakan over yeah. many times that after about a first game, every subsequent game felt like, um, well, it's just one, one Eclipse phase too long. The whole thing, you know, yeah. you feel like... I've done things, you know, and, and... And now I'm just doing the same things again and again. Yeah, and, and especially in that game where I bunched in all the expansions together, I was I'm, I was having a whale of a time, but by the end of the second Eclipse phase, yeah. I would have already reached all the scoring opportunities I wanted to do. I guess maybe I, I was doing pretty well. You were doing pretty well. Uh, but I felt like, well, okay, my plans are sort of, you know... They're there. I'm, I'm about where I want to be in this game. And if you cut it off right now, the tension would have felt just right. Mm. But but then it goes on for another eclipse phase. And I just sort of don't want to do that. I think you're right. Like, if it was one eclipse phase shorter, then... And you knew that. You'd planned for that. Yeah. You And also maybe, you know, tune up the game towards that. But I, ob- Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just felt We're not like, game designers. We don't know what we're talking about. No. But uh yeah, no, I think I think you're right. It did feel like it was it dragged on a little bit. Um because by that third eclipse phase, either you can do things or you can't. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't feel like an opportunity to oh, okay, right, I can do the things that I've haven't managed to do by now. What I did struggle 
to do today mm. is separate the base game from the expansions. Because it, it cohesively it, integrated very itself much, in. Yeah. Very much. But and and I mean that's a good thing in a way because it mm. feels like it fits. Yeah. But like I said earlier, I don't feel like it changed enough to make it more interesting for me. And not to mention that this if if you do buy all the expansions, the two expansions, the suddenly very cheap thirty-three pound uh -huh, game becomes, uh -huh. you know, like seventy or eighty pounds or whatever uh -huh. it is if you add it all together. And suddenly becomes a less interesting proposition. So I guess I guess that's it. I guess that's the verdict. It's cheap. If you want to try <laughs> it, you know, you're not going to go wrong. It's probably fine. If you but, enjoy a point salad -y game. Or Rondell games. Rondell games. It's, it's not going to offend you in any way. No. Uh, it's going to be a fine time. And if you do love Teotihuacan, all the more power to you. Mm. But I think for us, it's just... It just felt a little bit deflating in the end, especially because it's been out for a couple of years now. And a lot of people really love this game. and I think we'd both built it up in our heads a little bit. Yeah, I was excited to try it and I tried it and I, I found myself in the old familiar spend resources to, 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 to get more resources and points and resources and points and that sort of cyclical nature, which I think that's not the most exciting of genre of euro games for me thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this podcast you can find more at nopunincluded.com forward slash podcasts and you can also leave us a comment on there to tell us whether you like the changes did you like them did you think this worked better do you did you prefer the old type of podcast what about efka's grumps what do you think about efka's grumps i like efka's grumps <laughs> i think efka's grumps are very good yeah the only way to co cohesively communicate with other listeners or ourselves in regards to this podcast is nopunincluded.com slash podcast you can find all the episodes there you can click on the episode there's a comment section there's there's timestamps it's nice it's a nice place to be and if you don't know our youtube channel and you've only just found us through this podcast please visit us on youtube no pun included that's that's primarily where we're found this that's our home this is our second home <laughs> but i hope that through this episode we made it a more comfortable home for ourselves and i hope that you also enjoy it and with that shall we say goodbye elaine goodbye elaine goodbye elaine <laughs>